It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Dal Sud America Fino giù in Senegal Profumo d'Africa Nella Nuova Guinea La sentirai in Albania Che assomiglia a casa mia Riparte dal Belgio Arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series this is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world. So I wanted to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can tell their stories and together we can continue to grow this amazing community. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're heading to Scotland for today's episode, which is brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. Today's guest is someone who probably doesn't need another platform because he has a, a couple of platforms already to share his wealth of knowledge on Napoli. He has a couple of shows on the Far From Vesuvius network, In the Shadow of Vesuvio with Michele Borini, and From End to Eye with Kirsten Schluitz. Dr. Henry Bell, welcome to Forza Napoli. Hey, Joe. Thank you. I'm the doc- Thank you for the doctor. I mean, I say, no, it's a real pleasure to be on the show. And before we get started, I just want to say, what an amazing job that you do for this whole community with the website as well as this fantastic podcast. So it's a, it's a real pleasure and an honor to be on your show, Joe. Oh, thank you. It's The pleasure is mine, but <laughs> I appreciate the kind words. So on today's episode, we're going to review Napoli's 3-0 win over Rangers Football Club, which was played in your home country of Scotland. But we always begin these episodes with our guest story. So Henry, Please tell the listeners how it is that you became a Napoli fan. Okay, yeah, right. So, Joe, I mean, please do tell me to shut up at any point because, you know, I know we've got a finite recording um, <laughs> time. But, yeah, I mean, I don't sound like most Napoli fans. I have this posh, plummy English accent. I don't come from a family that's interested in sport, really. But, really, it comes back like a lot of us to uh, a player from Argentina who you may have heard of called Diego Maradona. And uh, I was born in 1993, like Rafa Rispo. So I was seven when the World Cup happened. And 
my mum actually, uh, my mum's called Linda, and she, I think like a lot of parents, got interest. her interest in football becomes more acute when we get to the international tournaments. And so I watched age seven, the 1990 World Cup in Italy, mostly with my mum and my dad and my brother making sarcastic comments. And I was just completely and utterly bewitched by the beauty of the Italian stadiums and the atmosphere. And England at the time was in the sort of death throes of Margaret Thatcher's government. And it was not not a great time. This was in the northwest of England near, near Manchester. And there was just something about that TV coverage and seeing players like Maradona and Baggio and also Paul Gascoigne, Gaza, who, you know, I'm not very interested in the English football team, but Gaza absolutely helped me fall in love with football. Anyway, I saw Maradona. I loved him. But I didn't understand why people were booing him. Um, I don't know if you remember. You're, you're probably too young to remember the World Cup in 1990, right? Around, we're the same vintage. I was young. I was sort of a little bit younger. I was five at the time. Okay. Did yeah. you watch any of it? Do you remember? Any I, well, I, I mean, my memories are more from looking back. <laughs> I, I don't think I have any memories firsthand watching watching these sure. matches. It's more what I know from looking back. Yeah. I reckon you were probably podcasting in your own way when you were five. Maybe if you were just <laughs> yeah. talking to your teddy yeah. bear. About Believe it or not, I'm actually an introvert. It's not. It's not very. Uh, not something I ever thought I would be doing. But it, you know, it's something you can practice. And Introverts, get they make the best actors. That's my day job. I, I train actors. Never trust an extroverted actor. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, so I was watching the 99 World Cup, Maradona, yeah. And so he got some, you know, as we know, the, the issues with, you know, particularly the northern cities in Italy with territorial discrimination. I think uh, Maradona got particularly singled out with booze and the Argentinian national anthem because of that. Because I was little as obsessed with national anthems. Anyway, cut a long story short, get to the semi-final, the other semi-final. Because for me in England, you know, when we talk about the 1997 final, it's actually West Germany, England, but obviously all our listeners are probably more interested in the other one. But anyway, they didn't boo the national anthem. And I, I said to my dad, who was humoring me by being in the same room, and I was like, why Why aren't they booing that, dad? And he was like, well, because it's, it's Naples. And I kind of said, well, what's Naples? And my dad is, was a television producer. He worked for a, quite a famous company in England called Granada Television and he had made a documentary series called Trading Places and he'd been in Naples making a documentary a couple of years before and so he kind of painted this very vivid picture and my dad's great passion is opera as well he trained to be an opera singer in the 1960s so he sort of painted this sort of wonderful vision of this this great city and as a seven-year-old sort of with these beautiful stadiums and in um, the English footage the opening theme tune was uh, an aria called Nelson Dorma, sung by Luciano Pavarotti. And it was my dad painting this picture. I just had this kind of image of Naples that I completely fell in love with, which is, you know, I've been to Naples so many times since, but that was sort of this, the seven-year-old vision was beautiful. And that was it really for me. And you know, as I said at the time, England back then, well, it still is, but you know, it wasn't, it was a very gray country. It wasn't a very glamorous country. And there was just something about that World Cup which I kind of saw the world in colour for the first time, if that kind of makes sense. And, and Maradona was really at the centre of that. And then basically the English Football Association sold the TV rights to English football, to Sky, to make money. And that, in my opinion, is the kind of death of football in, in England. And so the only free-to-air football that you could watch in England was on Channel 4. So that was in 1992. 
Uh, so really, I was just a kid that loved football in front of a TV that had been sort of, I'd sort of fallen in love with Naples and, and Maradona. And so in my head, I was like, right, I'm going to watch Napoli. Little did I know, Joe, that in 1992, that was really the beginning of the end for, for Napoli. So I spent much of my childhood watching quite sort of workmanlike Napoli fixtures on, on Channel 4. So my early heroes were people like Daniel Fonseca and Andre Cruz, the centre-back, who I just thought, again, coming from England, they don't make centre-backs like that. And, and yeah, so it was a real struggle for me to kind of find footage and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, and I had a PE teacher that liked Napoli and he sometimes would bring in VHSs and I'd watch them. And then, you know, really to cut a long story short, when we got back into the Champions League around 2010, that's when I could really re-engage as a, as a Napoli fan. And I always thought it was going to be this private vice. I never thought that I would be on a podcast with someone like you, Joe, talking about it. And then the social media happened and I found this whole amazing community of Napoli fans. And that was really how I, I met Michele and Rafa and Ken and all these people. And I ended up going to Naples and it was my first time in May there. So it's a bit of a weird story, but I think Napoli has a great tradition of adopting people not from that city and making those people their own. So yeah, that's my sort of Napoli story. I mean, the Channel 4 story is fairly common for any English fans of Italian football, but I love how your family got you into the club, both, you know, your mother's participation in, you know, international tournaments, your father's background uh, in TV producing. And I think that gives us some pretty good context for your show, because one of the things I love about your show, there's many things I love about it genuinely, is that you get the best of two different worlds. You have Michele, who's, you know, as the title of the, the show suggests, lives literally in the shadow of Vesuvio. You know, for people who don't know, Michele's get Napoli tickets on Twitter, which is a, a very, very useful resource for, for anyone on certainly, I guess, anyone outside of Napoli, really, to get tickets to go to matches. He attends pretty much every home match, tries to attend some away matches. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen <laughs> this week. So we get a unique perspective of sort of the fan experience from Michele's point of view. And what I love almost counterintuitively is there's not so much detailed technical analysis of the game itself. It's very much about things like Mario Rui getting cheered for during the warmups or yes. the fan boos being played on the speakers to drown out chants against De Laurentiis. Like all of these little things that the, the average napoli fan who's watching on tv is not experiencing in any way so we get this great insight um and then you mentioned your father's background and and your own background in theater and i love how you you constantly quote theater whether it's shakespeare or, or, or other <laughs> other plays uh, yeah, and, someone likes that i do i do i genuinely do it's a kind of i i really get a sense that you've you're bringing two passions together a little bit, even though it's predominantly a show about Napoli. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, going back to living in Scotland, on your last episode, because you guys were not able to get into the the Rangers match due to the restrictions that were were put on that match, you ended up going to watch the game in a Celtic bar. And I couldn't help but wonder, is that because there's maybe not a huge Napoli contingent in Scotland? or Or was it for just that? You know, it made sense because you knew they were going to be cheering against Rangers. Great question, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I've only been in Scotland for about a year. So 
if there is a big Napoli contingent in Scotland and I don't know about you, I'm sorry. Okay. But as far as I can tell, I don't think there, I think there used to be, there was a Facebook group. Uh, I'm not on Facebook. So again, I'm not probably the best person to ask about this, but there was one, but they hadn't posted anything for a couple of years. But there's a lot of culture fans in Scotland. A lot of the best culture writers and podcasters are based in the, the, the guys who do the Rigore pod, who I love, the sort of completely sardonic and occasionally rather miserable podcast about culture. So there's a lot of culture, but I, as far as I can tell, there isn't like an organized Napoli club. And I think one of the good things that's going to come out of the, the debacle that was the, the Rangers match is that a lot of people have sort of got in touch and sort of come out of the woodwork to be like, actually, what are you doing? Where are you watching it? So it is on my sort of list of things to do to try to sort of get people together and to because there's a huge Italian community in Scotland, particularly in Glasgow, and there's a big I think there's a big Neapolitan community as well. I think it just needs a bit of organisation, and there could, could perhaps be be more because particularly in North America, in in Canada, and there's all these like fan groups that I see on on Twitter. It looks amazing, like uh, everyone meeting up and having a really good time. So. Be nice to have that here in Scotland. So if you're listening in Scotland, please do drop me a line on on Twitter, and we can maybe try to organize something. I think. Absolutely, I think for us over here, it's just so difficult to actually go see a match. Like you have to plan like a two week trip, <laughs> where you know yeah. we can't hop on like a Ryanair flight and be there in a couple hours and then head back the next day. So, yeah, but that would be great if we can connect you with some other uh, fans in Scotland. A quick comment: you mentioned the Rigoda podcast. I. Uh, I shot a quick DM to Giancarlo Rinaldi after the match and I said to him that um, no matter what anybody tells you, just know that the reason Napoli won this match was to avenge the loss of Queen of the South in the Scottish Cup, <laughs> which was <laughs> against Rangers a couple of years ago. And he's, nice. he replied back saying, yeah, I'm glad you guys did that for us. Thank you. So. He's, he's really trying to get me to go and see a Queen of the South match. And I think I probably should. Uh, I think you should. Do you have a, a Scottish club that you support? I know you, I, well, you said you've only been there for a year or so. Well, I work at the University of West of Scotland and we have various campuses across the whole of Scotland. So I have, have to choose between Air United, St. Mirren, Hamilton Academicals. So I need to make a choice. So I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, my local club is St. Mirren. So I should, and our students actually used to run their, their TV channels. So like, um, I should probably say St. Mirren, but they play in black and white. I'm not sure oh, I can get behind a team that <laughs> plays in black and white. Well, I mean, we can't hate all of them. As long as we hate the one, I think uh, I think you're okay. Great right. week for them. Didn't they have a great week, Joe? <laughs> great week for us. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things. I, I didn't say it on the pod, but when me and Michele came out of the pub and, um, you know, we said, well, that was as, that was as good as it could possibly go. And then we, we found out that Juve had lost to Benfica. And then we just, it gave us such a lift. It turned a, it turned a, dodgy night into a great one absolutely we just all have to hope that they don't fire max allegri because then things might things might take a turn for the better for them so we can all write letters like if we're in your other hands so if you're left-handed use your right or you might <laughs> use your left pretending to be juve fans to uh signor allegri um, <laughs> no i'm not allegri agnelli saying our mister is is a champion he must stay he must stay yeah let's create kind out. of bots twitter accounts that are like hashtag allegri in like we need to start a kind of sub subterfuge campaign to keep that guy there yeah i'm still trying to figure out how to run a website so figuring out how to create bots is a whole other <laughs> whole other realm for me All but right, that'll do for part one in part two we'll review the match against rangers on wednesday
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to part two of the Fortsonopoly podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. All right, so let's talk about the Rangers match a little bit. I mentioned earlier that you were supposed to attend this match, but unfortunately, the visitor section was closed, so you could not attend. I'm not going to ask you about your match day experience because I want everyone to head over to In the Shadow of Vesuvio and listen to your latest episode because you did talk about that in depth. Thanks for the plug, Jay. Thank you. (laughs) No, it's my pleasure. And uh, maybe we can chat just a little bit about it because from the sound of the episode, I really feel like you guys sort of made lemonade. (laughs) You you took (laughs) lemons and made lemonade from a a bad situation. And and though Michele was uh, not too happy, to say the least, at least at the beginning of his trip, I, I hope that he left Scotland feeling pretty good about himself. Well, let's not get too sentimental, but afford me a brief moment of sentimentality in that just like a few months ago, I interviewed Michele for an article I was writing for The Guardian that actually didn't get printed about how Napoli adopts sons. And I was writing it about Koulibaly winning the African Cup of Nations and the the reaction to that. And so I I looked up Michele. I didn't know him at all. And I interviewed him and we got on like a house on fire. And I was like, let's do a podcast. Now, the idea that it was going to be Michele, his dad and his girlfriend were going to be staying with me in my spare room. So the idea that like just through this club, you know, I've just sort of made this kind of friend and okay, Michele's dad didn't make it over, but Michele and his girlfriend decided to use the opportunity to kind of travel around Scotland afterwards. And I had just such a wonderful evening the night before with um, Michele and his girlfriend. And it was just like, okay, it's dreadful. But the fact that me and him and his girlfriend and some of my friends were sat in this pub together watching a game, like that just never would have happened in a million years if it wasn't for just this kind of wonderful community that we're a part of. I'm not sure if Michele was thinking that, but I definitely was. So there was just this nice vibes. And the Celtic fans, and we said this on the pod, that they were cool. And the guy around the bar was cool. And I don't sound silly, Joe, but just like sitting in a pub swearing in Italian at a screen. <laughs> It just felt good. You know, it was pretty close to what we had. And I think, I, I mean, I had three pints of Guinness, which which helped, which might make my analysis. And your, and your analysis, Joe, is so good on the show. <laughs> and it's so precise. And like, I listen to your show so I can actually understand the game better. So I'm going to hopefully not sully the great name <laughs> of your of your podcast with my sort of three pints of Guinness analysis of this game. No, I mean, that was the right environment to do it. And it was a worthy occasion for sure. Um you know, walking away with a three nil win. So let's talk about the match a little bit. And I want to start with that crazy sequence of penalty kicks. 
The first penalty was drawn by Giovanni Simeone in the 55th minute after a gorgeous sort of volleyed ball over the top by Zielinski. Unfortunately, Zielinski was stopped on two separate occasions. What did you make of just those two attempts from Zielinski? I was really surprised. We've had a problem with penalties for quite a long time now. And the penalty that Zilu scored, what game was it now? Liverpool. He stepped up. Yeah, yeah. And it was a really good penalty. And this, like everything about that penalty, like his body language, I mean, I'm a theatre director, so I, I look at these things, you know, his, his body language, like everything about his run up, you know, you can tell when a player is going to score a penalty sometimes. And you could just tell that he was going to score against Liverpool in the same way that you could tell that Ossiemen was exactly. going to miss. And again, the way that Zielinski stepped up to take that first penalty, I was very confident, actually, which is never be confident as a Napoli fan about anything. You know? <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> exactly. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to be controversial here, Joe. I don't think we should give up on Zielinski taking penalties. And I think he's going to learn from his mistakes. I think also Alan McGregor was 40 years old. It's quite a big deal for him. And I think he did brilliantly, actually, to save both those penalties. I mean, we can all be armchair pundits and say, well, why did he put it in the same? Because he put it the same way twice, didn't he? Yeah. So I think, I personally think we should keep Zelensky. I don't want to talk about the show, but in terms of who's going to take penalties going forward, I think we should keep Zelensky on the duty because I like him stepping up. He's actually our most senior player, I would say, most experienced player. Really tied in with his lineage of the club. He's Hamsik's apprentice. You know, all this kind of stuff. Like, I think... And it's down to Spalletti and the coaches to sit Zelensky down and say, look, you've made such amazing progress as a leader in this team. We trust you. Let's keep going. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen other players miss penalties and continue to take them. So I don't think we should just abandon him altogether. I thought the first one actually wasn't too bad. Maybe he needed to get the ball off the ground a little bit because yeah. he rolled it and I think the ground took the pace out of it a little bit. Mind you, McGregor seemed like he kind of jumped the line a little bit as well so he he might have gotten a bit of a head start maybe he doesn't stop it if he he didn't come off his line and that's there was sort of a bit of controversy around what was the reason for the retake because the official i I don't know if you caught it in the bar but the official seemed to be talking to mcgregor and it looked like he was telling him he came off his line too early but then you would question why they had to retake it and not just allow the goal that politano scored on on the rebound but Politano quite clearly also encroached in the area. So maybe it was kind of a combination of the two that, that led to the retake. And I, and then the second one was not quite as good from Zielinski. But I did like that as soon as the decision was made to retake the penalty, he immediately went and took the ball. Like he was very decisive about it. And that is something you want from your penalty takers, right? You don't want indecision. And, you know, you mentioned the Osimen miss and that run up and that body language was seemed very indecisive to me. I'm not sure if you saw it online, but there was also a lovely moment before the Politano penalty kick where Cavada kind of put his arm around Zielinski. I loved and, it. It's beautiful to see that, you know, and a lot of these players are new. And I mean, Zielinski's obviously not, how many, is it nine seasons, eight seasons he's been with us? A long time. Maybe yeah. I've gone way over it. Is it around that? It's been, Zielinski's yeah, been it's for, for long a enough. I mean, like you said, longest, pro- most probably the most senior player on the team now. Yeah, but it's good that he's in a new role. There's sort of these new relationships being formed. And that was really cool to see, I thought. That's kind of like arm arm around the shoulder. I think it was right that Zelensky didn't take that third. I think it would have been putting him in a, in a tricky situation. And I think that Politano, again, I mean, McGregor got pretty close to it, didn't he? He did, yeah. And I think 
that one was so well struck that generally the rule is if you hit it really well and you pick your spot there's not much a keeper can do about it even if they guess the right direction and we saw that on yeah. that one politano said after the match that the coach said whoever feels up for it should take the penalties and i guess the players decided on either Zielinski or politano spalletti said after the match that Zielinski deserved to take them because he had such a great game he was also a little bit critical of cavada for i would say constructively critical of cavada for maybe trying to do a little bit too much on his own and you know he kind of pointed to how Ndombele's goal was really because of Angisa or that Cavada would have only had two touches if it were not for the fact that Kim and Rachmani are winning the ball back and you know the midfielders are progressing the ball forward so trying to hammer home this idea of this is sort of a team sport and but, but you know you kid, man. He's, he's 21 and he's yeah. had an amazing start to his Napoli career and he's playing the Champions League and there's articles about him in the BBC uh, Kirsten Schlitter I do a podcast with was interviewed in the beat. He's just like totally been spotlighted and he's playing in a cathedral of football like Ibrox. And yeah, I mean, he was a bit too selfish and he tried a few too many things, but I, as long as he's playing well, I don't care. And I don't mind there being a player like that on the team, but I agree. I mean, he does need to think a little bit about getting his head up a little bit more. Yeah. Do you you think that Spalletti was harsh with that? Do you think? I very much took it as constructive criticism. I don't think, it was intended to put the player down necessarily. And the other thing is, I mean, the way Cavada plays, there's this sort of fine line. Basically, if he scored in this match, it would have been just all praise. And we would have ta- been talking about that turn he made where he ended up blowing past another player and drawing a foul. I posted a, a retweet on Twitter today, actually, of someone posted a video of Messi saying, you know, who else can do something like this? And I looked at it and I said, well, actually, Cavada can do that. <laughs> I'm not not to suggest that he's a messy level player, of course, but when he does do these things and certainly when he scores, then we have a different narrative. But yeah. I thought it was interesting and, and I wanted to touch on something that you commented on your last show, which was that I got the impression that whether it was Spalletti letting the players decide or maybe rewarding those who are playing well by letting them take the penalty kicks, in either case, it's not predetermined who is taking the penalty kicks. Do you agree with that approach? Or do you think, you know, there should be sort of a list? Here's our first taker. Here's our backup and so on. I think if you're performing under lights, right, whether this is on stage or this is on a football pitch, okay, it's all about keeping things as simple as they possibly need to be so you can be at your highest level, right? So if, if you're an actor and you're rehearsing a play, you don't fill that actor with information if, if you're a theatre director. You focus on things like, what does your character want? You know, what's just happened to you before you came on stage? And the actor should be thinking about, you know, am I powerful in the situation or not? Do I want to get power? Do I want to hang on to the power that I've got? Focus on these really simple concepts that you can then execute on stage. Because it's tough. You walk on stage, you've got hundreds of people watching you. You could look like a complete idiot if it goes wrong. Now, I think football, elite level sport is exactly the same. And you've got to get that balance right, haven't you, between players having autonomy, players having freedom to be creative and make their own decisions, and also take responsibility on the pitch, which is something I think we've struggled with a bit in, in recent years, with there being a plan. And I think something like a penalty is not the place for a kind of like decentered leadership approach. Something like a penalty, there should be a list of penalty takers. One, two, three, four, five. And whoever is on the pitch is doing that because 
it muddles your mind. And anyone that's done even amateur sports or amateur performance, or if you had to give a presentation at work, anytime you've had to stand up in front of somebody and do something, I don't know, give a speech at a wedding, anything like that, you'll know what that's like because you step up and your brain just goes blank <laughs> or you go, ah, I want to, you know, and that's where you have training and technique and whether that's public speaking or acting or football, it's all about having simple tasks that you can fulfill. And you don't want players having conversations about who's going to want to take a penalty. It doesn't guarantee that the penalty is going to go in, but you don't want to be adding to the various factors that can go wrong, I suppose. And if you look, I think the thing to look at are penalty shootouts, because that really, for me, tells us about the psychology of taking a penalty. You know, you can always, I mean, the Germans have been fantastic at it for years and years and years, and you see the Germans before a penalty shootout, and there's just a clarity, isn't there? And sometimes being, I don't support England as a football team for a variety of reasons, but you often see the re England do so badly at penalty shootouts because there's this sort of muddle and chaos in the huddle and people say, well, I'll do it, well, I'll do it, and a sort of lack of thinking about it. So personally, I think there should be more clarity. I think we should, we should pick a player. And let's say if a player misses, I don't know, two penalties in a row, then you say, we'll give it to somebody else. I'm not including the retaken penalty in that I think we should keep it with Zielinski. And I think Spalletti should instigate a different policy. He's not going to do that because he's Luciano Spalletti. And that's fine because I think he's doing all right. I, I don't agree with that approach personally. Yeah, I'm, I'm still undecided on it. I think I, I get the logic of maybe rewarding players who are playing well, but that made perfect sense. The And like I said, the way you use theater to explain football concepts is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go on to some other parts of the game because there was plenty that happened for Zielinski. The papers really struggled with their report cards after the match. I think they all came in at around six for him and surely they would have been much higher had it not been for the missed penalties. I know you think very fondly of Zielinski. What did you make outside of those penalty misses? What did you make of his performance in this match? I've been on a real journey with Zelensky. I mean, people who have bothered listening to my thoughts over the past few years, I mean, I, I have been quite, used to be quite critical of him because I, I felt like it was time for him to step up out of Hamsik's shadow, much like Shakespeare stepping out of Marlowe's shadow. Anyway, um, I gave a lecture on that this morning. But I loved the season before last. It was one of my favourite seasons from an Napoli player for a long time when he came in with his 20 goals and assists, and it was beautiful to see. I actually, it was probably the Guinness, but I was finding it quite emotional because of... I mean, COVID's affected my household quite a lot. Um, my partner got long COVID. It was really tough for us as a household. And I think maybe I'm projecting my own experience here, but Zelensky, I think, got really affected by that. And he had documented lung issues. Can't say, can't say that long word today. Um, <laughs> and it, I tweeted, it was like he was playing with a new pair of lungs. Don't you reckon? Like he seemed quicker. He seemed to have so much stamina, like those explosive runs forward. He was doing right the way through the game. He linked um, midfield and attack fantastically. He's such an all-round player, isn't he? He can wonderful technique on the ball, but he's beginning to play. When he's confident, he has that vision to make chances and take chances as well, you know. And all of that was on display. I mean, he, I think he was our, our man of the match, which is ridiculous because he missed two penalties, but, you know. Yeah, I agree. I, I do see that physically he seems to be in a much better condition than he was for the second half of last season i i think most napoli fans now kind of agree that whatever happened with covid and and the lung issues something held him back last season and he seems to be at least for the moment back to his 
his his normal sort of uh, form. Maybe it's the socks. Maybe did he lower them? Is he wearing them lower than before? Or? I think he is. I mean, maybe <laughs> I need to get out more. But I'm looking at that screen, going, he's kind of got this kind of like 1970s playmaker <laughs> vibe with his sort of like socks rolled down and like this kind of laconic, creative player. I yeah. Mean, Get that in my veins. Much more of that, please. Yeah, I don't know if his shin guards are like coasters or something, but <laughs> how do you fit a, a shin guard so, with your socks? Although I don't know, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned sort of the the creativity, his play on the ball. I think that's the obvious indication that his confidence is really high right now. The way you know, there was a chance in the first half where he played the ball through to Simeone, and again, McGregor made an, another. Uh, big save oh, there. He was, was probably my man of the match if I had to pick one, despite a 3-0 loss. But it yeah, started with Jelinski playing one of those quick turns that he does where he, he almost dummies the pass and just sharp change of direction. And next thing, you know, quick give and go with Anguissa, and then we have a chance. We mentioned that that volleyball over the top. And then the shots, right? Like, even though he didn't score, he hit post in the first half. He nearly scored in the second half, but again was foiled by, by McGregor. So... Yeah, I thought just a fantastic performance. Uh, and he's communicating the with the rest of the team. Sorry, Joe, just to cut over you there, but it's like he's communicating with the rest of the team really well. And he wasn't doing that last season. With his fellow midfield, he's communicating brilliantly. We started to see some interesting connections between him and Ossiman before Ossiman got hurt. Maybe he can communicate even better with, with the wide forwards. I mean, it's tough being in that sort of attacking midfield because you've got to communicate like all around the pitch. But that seems to have really stepped up. And with Insigne going, like, we need someone who can make chances, like, love him or hate him in recent years. Insigne created a lot of chances for the team, and the statistics back that up. And what's nice is that we're seeing Kavarakshelia and Zielinski, who are really cooking those numbers, that they're, they're creating chances for people. Yeah, so, like, long live Zilu in <laughs> with his socks near his feet. And let's... <laughs> more of that, please. Yeah, Anguissa had a phenomenal match as well in the midfield. He got oh, his first season, Champions League goal against Liverpool. So in the first round, he got his first Champions League assist in this match. That was some play he made on that third goal. I'm having so much fun watching him play football. You know what I mean? Like he's just one of those footballers, I think, that I think that everybody wants to be because he can sort of do everything. He sort of can take the ball from deep and beat some men and get forward and make a chance or shoot from distance. But, and he's good in the tackle and he's, he's clever. He's an intelligent player. He, as you say, like he's creating stuff now as well. I mean, I absolutely love him and the fans love him too. And I think he's rapidly establishing himself as like a real, not even a cult hero. He's just a bit of a kind of, bit of a hero. And a, He's obviously loving playing in the Champions League as well. Like both his performance in Liverpool, his performance against um, Rangers as well, where, you know, when you can see a player enjoy themselves. And I think Ongisa is just having an absolute blast right now. Yeah, there was this interesting, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but this debate about whether it was better to have players that had never played in the Champions League before because they come with this, this eagerness to play and and prove their worth versus not having experience and maybe you know nerves might become an issue so far it seems like the former is prevailing with you know i i tweeted about this but in the last three matches we've had Anguissa score his first goal in the champions league we've had raspadori score his first goal for napoli politano's first goal in the champions league raspadori's first goal in the champions league and first goal for napoli so 
a whole bunch of firsts over the last three games. Staying with the midfield, Laboka was excellent as well. Both Angisa and Lobotka played the full 90 minutes. Zielinski was subbed off in the 82nd minute. There's, at least right now, a distinct drop in quality when any of those three players are not in the starting 11. Do you think we might be becoming a little bit too dependent on them, though? It's tough, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's why we're not football managers. Like, what do you do when you have a, like, a midfield three like that playing incredibly well? I mean... In recent past, thinking of uh, Jorginho and Hamzik and Alan, and each of those three had very unique, specific roles, and they work brilliantly well together. And that's what it looks like at the moment on the pitch. Do you want to? Do you want to stop that? I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. But then we think about Spalletti and how his teams start so well and how they fade away. I'm worried. Yeah, I'm a bit worried that come February, March, we'll start to see the repercussions of this. I do think though. Because one argument is to go back to a 4-2-3-1, which will take less pressure on the squad in terms of central midfield. I don't think that formation suits us at all. And so I don't think the answer is to change the formation and rotate the squad to rest the players. I think it's in Napoli's DNA to have three in midfield. I think the, the first Scudetto season, you know, we had greatly underrated deep-line midfielder Francesco Romano wonderful player only really had one fantastic season for Napoli and he was next to Salvatore Bagni who was a bit like Anguissa could kind of do everything and Fernando Di Napoli Rambo Di Napoli and that was that that sort of trio and it's in our DNA whenever we won things we've had three midfielders so I'm saying we've got to stick with three midfielders and again a bit like what I'm saying with Zielinski the job is really I think man management from Spalletti Elmas needs to get his head in the season I think he needs to be told where he's going to be playing. And I think, you know, and obviously if something disastrous happens, he can help out. But I think Spalletti needs to say to him, you are playing in midfield. This is what you're going to do. I think Ndombele looked okay. He still doesn't look fit to me, but I liked his confidence. And I think we need to get Deme back and fit. I don't hate Deme. I've seen him getting a bit of hate on the old social media. I like him. He's called Diego, named after Maradona. And in the... When was it? There was a bad dip early in a new year. Maybe it was this year, maybe it was last year, where Deme was actually one of the few players with that real sort of grinter. So I think it's really down to Spalletti to get into those three guys' heads and be like, you're not backup. You get us major silverware by stepping up. So I think Milan's not the game to do it, obviously. But once we get out of the Milan tie, I want to see those three guys play in a 4-3-3 and you know I used to be in a band and we used to have a music producer and if you made a mistake the producer used to say well I won't use the precise language but he used to say mess up catch up that was his thing he used to say and I think that you know you can't dwell Elmas can't dwell on the fact he's been underperforming he has to just think right that's fine I'm going to get on with it so I think they just need to be given a very clear message about what their role is on the pitch and when they're going to be used yeah and I think things will over time improve because as you said you know i think them is getting hate because he kind of publicly called out a teammate who we think is angisa for causing his injury in the first place but i think he is a very useful player his original sort of recovery schedule was just after the international break so if we get him back then he can spell lobotka a little bit and Dombele looked much better in this match probably his best performance in a napoli shirt so far albeit 
you know, with a man advantage against a, a weaker opponent, maybe, you know, an open match because of the scoreline, but he still showed signs of progress, which was great to see because we have seen that from Simeone and Raspadori as well, who were sort of the three guys that joined the club the latest. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah. And then also, you know, we have the international break coming up and Gisa curiously was not called up to Cameroon squad. So I was surprised, but he'll get two weeks of rest. I'm sure. I didn't know that. That's fantastic news. Yeah. And that's exactly <laughs> what he needs is two weeks off. You know what I mean? It was, it was bizarre, but yeah, he wasn't called up. I, I'm pretty sure Lobotka and Zielinski will get called up for Slovakia and Poland. But, you know, that's two more weeks for Ndombele to continue to work with the squad, continue to work with Spalletti and hopefully continue to progress. Very quickly, what did you think of his short sort of 10-minute appearance? I mean, it was... Don't get me wrong, there was a lot of good there. There was a lot of good there. But there was also a bit of bad. And I suppose what's been incredible about the three guys that we've been talking about is how consistent they've been and actually how they haven't really been making mistakes. And my issue with Ndobele at the moment, because he needs minutes in his legs he's prone to giving the ball away or making him say, or that when he came on and did that ridiculous long pass where he was on for like 30 seconds, it was, he was a bit like a competition winner that really wants to just kick the ball as hard as possible. I mean, he was an incredible player three, four years ago, and I'm sure he will be brilliant for us. And I think Morsalad has been championing him on Twitter. And I, I absolutely agree with Mo that he is a, that he's a real asset to the squad, whether he's ready to go into, like, you've got to think like, would you be comfortable if he started against Milan? I don't think I would actually. I don't think no, and that's what we need to. We need. He kind of needs to be ready to do that, but I think it's to do with fitness. Actually, I think it's fitness and also getting his brain back in the game. I think, but when he's got that, he's going to be fantastic for us. I'm sure, and that's why I'm okay with him starting a game against Lecce or Spezia, even if he does get taken off at the half because he wasn't great. Like he has to get the experience somewhere and and get those minutes in his legs in a competitive match. So. That's where I think, again, Spalletti is doing his best to manage the squad. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking of the number of injuries that Napoli have had over the last couple of seasons uh, as well and trying to ensure that that doesn't happen again. Henry, we're just about out of time, but any final thoughts, whether on this match or Napoli season, before we wrap it up? I just think let's just take it game by game, which I'm not capable of doing at all. So I'm already thinking of looking for signs and thinking, I thought we'd have a good run in Europe. But remember when we got 12 points in the Champions League and we didn't and we didn't qualify? You know, our capacity as a club to sort of grab disaster out of the jaws of victory are, you know, second to none. So, yeah, I just think I've been trying to train myself. And actually, Michaela is great for me like this because he's absolutely that guy that's like, no, we've got to just keep our feet on the ground. And I think... Milan's going to be really tough. And I think I just, I don't make predictions, but the, what I'm going to do is try to not react strongly one way or the other, what happens at the weekend. And I think we've got to be like that until we're back from the World Cup. And even then, you know, what I think got us last year was that Spalletti started talking about the Scudetto. The others didn't. Milan didn't. Inter didn't. Milan didn't start talking about the Scudetto until practically the last week of the season. And I think we can learn quite a lot from that as fans. But it's so tough, isn't it? Just to try to look at what's in front of your nose. Yeah, Mikel is a, a great trainer for that. I mean, he almost refuses to believe because he's just been burned too many times. And that's that's certainly yeah. understandable. All right. So that is where we leave it. I wanted to touch on Alex Meret as well, but we're just about out of time. But I will say just for, for all the Meret 
doubters that are still out there and, and credit to all the people that were apologizing to him on Twitter this week. Um, yeah. You know, it's four clean sheets now in, in eight matches in all competitions. He made a fantastic save in this one as well, which might have changed how that game went. You know, if that ball goes in, maybe Rangers then change to a defensive formation and, and make it very difficult for us to break through. So shout out to Alex Medet as well. All right. You can find Henry on Twitter at Henry Bell Calcio, and you can find the In the Shadow of Vesuvio podcast at Shadow of Vesuvio. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. I'm hoping to be back soon to preview the Milan match. I'll have to figure out if I could somehow squeeze that in before my son's sixth birthday party. But if not, then we will have be back. Have him on as a guest. Have him on yeah, as a guest. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll have Evan on for the uh, for the uh, Milan preview. That's actually a great idea. I might just do that. It'll, it'll be do a it. fun one. We'd all love it. we got to find yeah. the, the joy, the joy of enjoying things for the first time. All I right. was about his age when I got into football, so do it. You know what? And he, speaking of theater... He loves the stage, so I think you and him would get along uh, really well. Actually, well, you've got to get him into accountancy as quickly as possible. I know? do. I need get, to sign. You don't up. want. You don't want to be a theatre dad. That's going to be stressful, man. Get him into something sensible. I'm joking. <laughs> no. Get him on stage. You need any Shakespeare tips, Joe? Yeah. Send me a DM. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I will. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Podcast Network.